I'm Chris Riley, editor of Sweet Code and founder of Fixate. I just so happen to like food and software, so I'm going to connect with developers and engineers at their favorite places to eat and chat about what it's like to build modern applications. This is Developers Eating the World. All right, this is episode 11 of Developers Eating the World, and we're at one of the most fancy restaurants you could ever pick, <laughs> uh, Starbucks. Uh, Starbucks in, what is this, Westminster or Broomfield? This is Broomfield. Yeah. Broomfield. Broomfield, Colorado. I'm sitting down with Mitch Ashley. Can you just give us a little bit about your background? Uh, my background is I'm a tech exec, entrepreneur, started companies, built products in multiple spaces, broadband, uh, wireless, SaaS, software, security company. I do some media work. Like, like we're doing here. So, um, a lot really, in security. A lot in security, yeah. Since 2000, I started, a little bit before that, started in security. Yeah. And security was viruses, you know, that was the problem. Right. <laughs> now it's you know, much, much different uh, yeah. than it was then. Yeah, well, now you even see some of the like classic security vendors like Semantic, McAfee, um, Dome 9, Sophos, you know, you name it coming into the DevOps world. They are. Well, that's DevOps, DevSecOps, right? So... I never know. SecOps is one thing. DevSecOps is another thing. Mm -hmm. Earlier today, we were talking about DevSec as being distinctly different. I I don't know. There's too many... I think some of it is, when I started in security, you talked about trusted and untrusted side of the networks. And immediately, like... It's all untrusted, so you have to not think about outside the firewall. Yeah, well, now trustless. Yes, exactly. Is a big thing. That's a big thing. So, with that happening, and then now people trying to push security early into the dev cycle, that makes sense. Why? Plus, the big security companies. How do they innovate? They buy other companies. So. That's why we see so many acquisitions. Yeah, I mean, the consolidation has been insane in the space. And I don't know, is that kind of a sign of DevOps maturing or? I mean, is it mainstream? You know? Yeah. It's, it's a good question. I mean, I think DevOps is still in a growth phase. Uh, certainly, it's taken very serious. It's maybe where Agile was three years ago. Where people are doing it, and you know, lean startup and things like that help promote it. Now there's a lot of resources for doing DevOps. So, I, I think the challenge is: is DevOps in, it, one team inside of an organization, or is it the whole organization transforming how they work in a DevOps fashion? So, and can you make that transition? Right. And so often, one of the conversations that has come up. Uh, and I recently just wrote a blog post on this. How do you get your C-suite to care? That's what the blog post was. And a lot of times when, I mean, this conversation comes up all the time and it's the, you know, it's the automation, the DevOps engineers, quality engineers and so forth who see the opportunity and want to communicate it upward, but they have no clue how. Like how does the techie learn to do you know, executive speak yeah. to communicate. And it's not that the executives are necessarily opposing it, because you know, they want to compete, or they should. Oh, of course they do, yeah. I mean, what's, what's the, the three biggest problems every CEO has? Revenue, revenue, and more revenue, right? <laughs> right. So, 
it's oversimplifying, but I'm actually involved in a CIO mastermind group, which that's the big topic of how do they communicate effective across the executive team and with the CEO. To me, it comes down to, it's if you just think empathy, right? What does the CEO care about? Do they care about the technology? Heck no, unless they just are interested. And we as technical people want to show our chops, but actually those aren't the chops that matter to the CEO. Right. They assume we have that. We wouldn't hire you if you weren't a fantastic developer or DevOps person or whatever. They want to know how can you make customers happier? How can you retain customers? How can you bring in more revenue? How can you give them access to new revenue sources? So let me give you an example. At the last company where I was president, we had an 18-year-old monolith application. It was doing great work, um, but it was just kind of so big, one of those you hate to get into, into it and try to change anything. Don't touch it. Because <laughs> you know, the people that wrote that are gone. Um, so we did some analysis to say, where is the business opportunity? And then we carved out a piece of that application after we put it in the cloud. And it was just a lift and, and put it in the cloud. And we then took a, a modern cloud native approach and did uh, microservices and Kubernetes and all that kind of thing because that's where we wanted to be able to pivot and do more work much more quickly, fast, get that to market because it's new revenue sources. That's what, that's what your CEO cares about. I mean, they're responsible to the board for meeting a number. But it sounds like you drove that because you were the techie. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I, you know, yes, I'm a technical executive. So, and I've been a CIO too. And, you know, but, but it, it was not easy to do that. I mean, even getting to the cloud, this was a spin-out company and um, not flush with cash. We didn't go get a, you know, $20 million right. investment. So what I did is met with the people who were moving towards DevOps and said, so we don't have the cash to refresh all this hardware in two years. So assume you have no money for hardware figure out how to get into the cloud. That's our incentive because that money I can use to pay bonuses and right. hire new people, not more equipment. So I had to put it in terms that would be meaningful to a DevOps person or a developer, et cetera. So, but I promise you, if you go to your CEO and you say, if we do these things, that's gonna, that is gonna increase our revenue and give us access to these kinds of services that we could deliver, they're gonna sit down with you all day long. Like, tell me what your idea is. And don't blow them over with your technical jobs because nobody feels like the Yeah, stupid. well, I think that's the challenge. Is it's, like you said, we wanna, you've already proved yourself. I think you made a really good point. Like, if you're an employee there, from a technical perspective, you've already proved yourself. Now prove that the big investment you want us to take and the other thing that I think techies make the mistake of, and I guess this relates more to the CFO, is they, they also think in terms of like three, five year windows, right? They're not necessarily thinking, save me money in a year. You know, they want to see big gains. Um, and that may take three, five years, but hopefully if you're in DevOps, you know, it doesn't take that long. Um, what well, depends on where your company is at too. Early stage, mid stage, you know, it's 
acquiring companies? What kind of growth is it owned by a PE firm? Is it owned by is a public? Right. You know, owned by a, a VC firm. Those things. Ultimately, it's all about money. There, people invested money because they want money back. I hate to be overly simplistic about it, but that's essentially where it goes. That is what the motivation is. And I don't mean just in a greedy money standpoint, right. but if I gave you $5,000 and said, because you told me you're gonna give me eight in six weeks, then I'm expecting eight in six weeks. Otherwise I'd use that $5,000 somewhere else. Right. Right. It's just, that's the transaction that they're involved in. And we aren't involved in it as technical people. Uh, so he here's the thought. Um, I was working with an IT organization who was really uh, refocusing on how do they get more engaged with the business and align with the strategy instead of just being a service organization. And one of the things I told them is, I believe this, you know, in my soul, this group has more impact on the productivity of everyone in the company than anyone else. Email being down, just the basics. So the, all these people in this company will, can be highly productive, collaborating with each other, or they can be dead in the water if we aren't good at what we do and delivering that. That's how important our job is. Right. It's not just about running email or Office 365 or whatever you're doing, you know, building the next app. So I think, I think it always comes down to value. What's the value of what you're, why is DevOps valuable, valuable to the business? We don't translate it into those terms. We talk about, well, being able to iterate things faster, collapsing, having the organizations working together more effectively, those kind of things. And it's also, we don't necessarily feel the excitement and joy from those types of wins anyways. <laughs> you know, we like to tinker with new stuff and, um, yeah, that's interesting. So besides having you come in and doing counseling session with a, <laughs> a company CEO, how would you even suggest that somebody learn how to communicate, to speak the lingo? Because my blog post recently was just that, like speak the lingo, understand what, what they're gonna get from it. Um, and you know, yeah, you could read that blog post and you're like, okay, that makes sense, but they haven't been exposed to that level of conversation a lot of times. And um, you know, how do they even get started? Well, so here's, just giving you things that I've done that I know work. Um, relatively smaller organization, you know, under 500 people. One of the things we did was we sat down and said for each leader of each department that we work with, what is what is what do we believe is important to them? If we asked them what do we think they would say, what what's important to them to get from IT? We wrote all that down, built it into a spreadsheet, and then we all went out and we asked the person directly the same exact question. What's important to you to get from IT? We're here to ask. And some of them were right, and some of these were like, not even close. Like, wow, we learned a lot. But what you get from that is how to speak the other person's language. Right. Right? And talk to a person like, you know you're not a marketing person, but talk to them in terms of campaigns and impressions and use words that are important to them. Um, because they're going to feel like you understand them. And you know what's great is 
and I there's the term soft skills being thrown around in the T-based, all that stuff. <laughs> like I think there's value there. I don't like the terminology, but you know what terminology do I like? Um, but it's a that's a lot of work, and and sometimes the gains of that is not obvious. Where uh, you know we see this all the time. You know when you push code. You know when a feature has been released. Like you understand that, and and you can see the gains there. Um, you know the psychological. I guess that's what I would say is that it's not always directly obvious what the impact is going to be, and sometimes it takes some time. Um, what do you think that from a technical perspective, like using the tooling they have available, like log analysis and you know release automation and all that stuff, is there anything they can get from this tooling to help sell the vision as well? Absolutely. So one of the things I, I think we're traditionally, I'll say bad at, not great at, is telling our own story of what the value is that we deliver to the business. The great thing about having log analysis and logs and big data and all kinds of ways of capturing information is you can take that and tell the story. What's the impact of what we delivered to the business this month, this quarter? Where are we going next? And not just in terms of how many pushes we made, we have grown the number of features or um, business impacting capabilities from 10 a month to 15. And our goal is to get that to 20 in the next three months. That's something that the rest of the business is gonna understand. Right. Oh, you're, then you're working on the right stuff. That's awesome. Because the last time I asked you, you told me all this stuff that I had no idea what you're talking about. I just felt dumb. So put, it, put your story in terms of the impact that you're having to the business in their terms, not right. yours. Again, Go ask them. Say, if, if I needed to communicate to you the value that we're delivering, what would you want to know? What would be important to you? Another way of asking that question. It's only one question, and all you have to do from that point on is write down or record it. You don't need super great people skills, soft skills. If you can ask that one question. Um, that makes it very tactical. Which well, is and let, so let me say actually ask two questions. Number one is, Chris, I'd like your help. And you would say, okay. okay. No <laughs> one ever who says no when you say, I, I'd like well, your help. Well, if they say no, maybe you should leave. <laughs> well, you might want to find out why they say no. Yeah. But that doesn't happen. It rarely ever happens. Second question is, here's what I'd like to know. I'd just like you to talk about it. If I was going to communicate to you the value that I'm delivering to your organization, what would you want to know? Right. And then go back, pull everybody together and say, okay, I went and talked to Chris, and here's what he said. Listen to the recording, or here's the notes that I took. What do you think he means by this? Let me go ask him. But that's a right? key element, though, you just said, which is you probably shouldn't go it alone, mm -hmm. this initiative. Mm -hmm. And I think, in, obviously, in a large organization, you can't go it alone. Like you need to get, you need to rally a team, yeah. which is easier in the world of DevOps um, than it used to be. I would do those interviews. The other person, just that person alone, if you can, because then you get their view and their words as opposed to sort of a group's right, version right, of the Right, right, because you truth. can modify. Yeah. Right. 
to satisfy the group. That's interesting. So here's another angle, which I've always found really interesting. And the podcast number one was with Mike McRory, um, who works for, I think we mentioned Anyways, we'll say, I forget if we mention it or not, <laughs> large clothing manufacturer. Somebody you wouldn't classically think is interesting in terms of tech, but they take tech very seriously. Their dev team is massive, you know, bigger than even a lot of the tech companies out there. Um, and you see companies like Target. Target goes to every KubeCon, um, you know, championing, trying to recruit technical people. And, you know, it's very obvious, like when you start to even look at classical businesses, that they also have to be a tech company. Oh, yeah. And, and also, we almost everybody now, the consumer, can smell a good app from a bad app mm -hmm. from a mile away. Right? A, good, a good experience from a bad experience. Right, yep. right. Exactly. And so, you know, how do these organizations, either the developers in those organizations or, or from the C-level, even know what it takes to start building these modern applications or building a team that can build these? Because it's not the same as the good old days where you have a whole bunch of business analysts trying to interpret somebody's features and mm. all that good stuff. <laughs> Interpreting and then I feel like their a, version of it. Yeah, I feel like a lot of companies take a technology-first approach where they just think they, well, we started using Jenkins and now we have modern apps. Yeah, you know what's interesting to me? Technology is the tool. The thing that may, the thing that's important is the people. Because the tools are nothing without the right. people to to use them or leverage them. Um, you know, we're, we're, I think, fairly new into this digital transformation going from it was a marketing initiative of getting a good online presence, good experience to no, the whole company has to transition. Uh, that's a huge thing. That, that is massive. It's massive for many companies. Um, you know, I'm talking to, I talk with people who still have mainframes. There's probably code I wrote many years ago, still running today. That's very scary, by the way. <laughs> you know, that, and that what language was it? Cobol? Uh, well, I did some COBOL, I did some C, and, you know, yeah. a lot of pro, uh, prologue, believe it or not. Wrote some code, so yeah. I think the one that makes me shudder when I hear it is Delphi. Delphi, yeah, no. <laughs> it didn't last too long, but it was traumatizing. For yeah, me. so my belief is you know, we always have a new shiny object. I'm kind of going off the reservation here. We always have the next new shiny object, nothing ever goes away. We still have COBOL, we still have whatever, we'll still have, you know, today it's Kubernetes, 30 years from now we'll still have it, even if it's not the thing, right? Right. It's not the jam, Yeah. <laughs> if you will. So why, you know, why is that important? Why are people doing it? They're not doing it just because it's a fad and, you know, the CEO's friends are doing it and they have to stay, you know, keep up with the Joneses. There's some value they want out of that, right? Um, are they losing, are we losing and not being as competitive because our competitors are doing this? Do we want to be a first mover and really set the mark and capture more customers? Why? Why do we want to do this? I think that's the most question, one of the most important questions you can always ask is why are we, why? Why is this important? Uh, why would we do that versus something else? Not that I'm questioning you, I just want to know. The context is important. Then you know how to go execute. If it's capture more customers, great. How do we? How are we going to get them there? And then once they're 
part of our digital experience. What's that experience going to be? And how do we make it one that we're going to have a high uh, conversion rate of? So that's that's all business language. You know, that's not DevOps language. That's what you're building. And it's not just one hit. What I realized when you just said that is a lot of these change. I mean, it's literally called digital transformation. Transformation doesn't happen overnight. So you have to know how to communicate this over a long period of time to talk about, we did this thing, this was the impact. Even if the impact is, it didn't do quite what we expected it to, but we know now that we can take the next leap. Mm-hmm. We, we go on, I learned long ago, we go on these three-year cycles of what the next thing is. Yeah. The next shiny object. You know, now it's digital transformation, it was DevOps, we're still in that you know, Gartner calls it the hype curve. Yeah. They've got a whole methodology for it. There'll be something after digital transformation that'll, and in a way, you know, I think there's one person who is feeding the industry the next thing oh, and then everybody who's goes. That? And, that's <laughs> I need to find out know, who that person but is. There's some mountain somewhere in the Himalayas <laughs> where, where this person is sitting. And now it's AI ops. And uh, doesn't speak, but you know, here comes the next tablet or whatever. <laughs> anyway. I'm just kidding. But digital transformation, it's, you know, we're still figuring out what that means. Because you're not going to be able to transform everything. You know, one of the biggest myths is we're going to rewrite this application. Rarely does that happen. Uh, it, it almost never makes sense for the business to pay to rewrite it. Because all of that effort, what are you going to gain from it? Yeah, you get no new value no new in value. terms of functionality. Right. Unless it's, it's moving it to the cloud, right? Well, you have to rewrite it to move it to the cloud. Right. So, you know, Cloudify. I've had teams move apps to the cloud just to save on the cap, CapEx. And actually, it was huge savings. And, and, you know, I know there's hype around moving it to the cloud and how much you can save, but it, you can do it where you can save money. That's just changing infrastructure. That's not rewriting the app. Other uh, somebody else's computer. On someone else's computer, exactly. And someone else, why are you building data centers? Why are you ha- hanging computers and messing around with networks to support all that stuff? In big enterprises, I get it. You want some things on-prem too, but put your skills, put your people where they're gonna deliver the most value. Not that that isn't valuable. It is, but you could free people to do, it, do, up, uh, do other stuff, so they're freed up. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the the developers that I've worked with, I've worked with a lot of great developers, extremely good. And I think the thing that separated the people at the very top that are the best of the best, the people who wrote the least amount of code. Because they were fast, they reused, they used frameworks. They, they um, wrote things in a way that other developers could reuse it, not just for Yeah, them. I think that's key. They wrote it knowing this is going to be around for a long time, and I'm, someday I'm not going to be here. Somebody else is going to have to take this. And they avoided traps like, usually when we build flexibility into an application, the real reason why we build flexibility, like multiple ways to do the same thing, is because we don't know the way it should be done. So we give everybody options. a lot of options. Options are complexity. That Most of the time that actually makes the experience worse for the end user. 
And I know this from doing interviews of, of users where we did that in our designs, UI designs. And I would get these questions back of, I would ask them, why did you choose to do it that way as we were doing this usability test? And, or why did you pause right there? And, and the answer I would get back was, well, you have more than one way to do this and there must be a reason and I didn't know the reason of why I would do one versus the other. So you actually created a barrier, things like that. So, you know, simplicity's hard, but that's what you gotta shoot for. Simplicity is hard. Oh, yeah. That's the quote. It's extremely hard. But it's great when you get it, when you get it right. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, we tend to want to, to boil the ocean. And, and I think, you know, going back to what you said before, I think the expectation is that by thinking about every route, we are actually building in resilience when it's the opposite way around. Yeah. You know, it's, do you want to do 100 things okay or do 10 things fantastic? Really well. Right, really well. Um, one thing I'm really encouraged about where we are today is the focus on Agile, the focus on DevOps is transforming the way we work and we can be so much more responsive to the business because business is under pressure to operate faster, be more nimble, bring along what you have with you and do more, right? With the same amount of resource, money, whatever. And those those methodologies and, and cloud native applications, how we build build new apps. It's it's a way for us to be much more responsive for the Which business. I think is a value for the C suite, by the way, is yeah. is that being nimble. Unfortunately sometimes they don't it's not you don't realize how not nimble you are until one of your competitors does something, you know, kind of mind-blowing. Well, <laughs> and in this world, I mean, things change think on about a monthly basis. How do executives manage things? They manage things with, they set goals and they have revenue and things like that, but they also have KPIs. There's certain key indicators they're watching about how the business is operating or succeeding. And if you can back to those, you've got all this data, you know, you know how many, how much continuous right. integration, how many releases, right. how many new features, how many bugs we fixed before a customer found it, whatever, um, tie that, have your own KPIs. And I think you can, as long as you put it in business terms, I think you can talk to anybody in the C-suite about, we're working really hard to change how we do things, not just because the technology is interesting, yes it is, but also because we're delivering more value. Here's, here's the value we're delivering. Right. And they're gonna and go, wow, you know, who hired you? Right. <laughs> and most developers these days actually think in the same terms because they are thinking in terms of how do I give value to my users? Like most developers, their goal is features in production. Mm -hmm. They don't really want to chase down bugs and just sit there and spin their wheels. I mean, I don't know. Maybe classic DBAs. That's that's what. But um, but they actually already think in those terms. They just need to realize that their business and in, in the automation that they're building, another customer besides the end user of the application is the business, mm -hmm. and just kind of translates. Yeah, that's well, the, cool. The business wants self-service too, just like a DevOps person would. Right. right. So that's why. 
you know, big data, combining data together, putting tools like a Tableau or something on top of um, a database and letting people build app-like features um, on top of that data. There's so much value in that, that information that we just haven't uncovered. But by putting it in an environment, they can do something with it. They're smart people, they'll figure out, if you give them the right tools, they'll figure out how to do it. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, we talked a lot about DevOps, the maturity of DevOps. What do you think's next? We'll close out with that. Oh, put on my futurist. Yeah. What it, What is the person on um, Mount Everest or wherever <laughs> handing down this slip? The Himalayas. Here. Himalayas. Here's the next slip. That's a great question. I feel like the you know the ball that rolls down, and here's the right. number. Um, that's a good question. I'm not necessarily the world's best futurist, but um, is that and that's actually a title. That's fine. You don't have to be a okay. futurist because I've never known a futurist to to produce anything worthwhile. Well, there's there's people who study this and are really good at it. Um, you know, and have my my ideas. I I think a huge issue still to be addressed is security, and and security's got to transform from protecting something to building something that's secure. Right. And not just infrastructure, building secure software. And if I was gonna focus on anything as a developer, of something to advance, is building security into your process, into your design, into your code. Because many DevOps teams get rolling, get started, start producing things, and it's someday they get to a point where they kind of hit this point of, okay, security, organization needs to review it. Well, you have information in the way that they need to look at it to understand. They don't know your app, right? You're gonna hit this stopping point. It could be right. a long pause, it could be a short pause. But if they know what you're doing to build security into the app, all the better. Uh, and there's also, you know, there's um, tools that are Chaos testing, right. um, Chaos behavioral monkey. testing. Yeah, uh, there's another one that I've uh, seen. There's one actually an open source one called Cthulhu, after H.P. Lovecraft's. I don't know if you know those books, but it's a it's a nightmare alien monster. <laughs> but um, Cthulhu is this chaotic monster. Anyway, it's a test tool. It's an open source tool. Um, For all secure has a a tool that uses fuzzing to like thousands of times a second, introduce new inputs into an application to try to find new vulnerabilities in a, um, just like we have autonomous vehicles, we have right. autonomous vulnerability right. finding, not just detection, but you know, elevating that. I think that's a, a next thing we have to get really good at because the more software we write, the more vulnerable we are. And that's another argument for simplicity. It is, it is. And, you know, I think one of the things that we can do to help ourselves is when you're building software, yes, you're, right, you're building apps and creating functionality, but what you're really building is a software engine, an organization, a team who can build software right. really well. Right. That's You're trying to create the software factory, it's an old term, but, um, and that's what you want to focus on. So continuous improvement is about that. How do you make right. that better and better and better? Yes, this could be faster, more efficient, 
but how do we make it more secure? So I'm, I'm heavy, heavily influenced by my security background to say that's <laughs> important, but you know, this privacy, I mean, you, everybody will be hacked and that data will be stolen at some point. I mean, we're kind of heading down this path right. where we kind what of just company assume. hasn't been hacked, what company hasn't had ransomware, what company hasn't had, if they haven't yet, they will. Okay, there's, something's got to change. There's got to be an inflection point. And I think DevOps is at a, is at a juncture, a junction point where creation of software meets getting it into production. And that's a great place to start to make that transformation, yeah. so. Yeah, and I, I mean, at Chef, uh, ChefConf, had very similar conversations where we're not done yet in the, in the world of DevOps. Like, I think we're just getting more real, which is a kind of a cool place to be, is uh, let's, you know, let's get over ourselves a little bit and get over the excitement and just be really practical and security is a part of that. And that's still cool. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, the hardest thing for any startup company to do, even one that's, you know, getting to be 30, 50, 100 million dollars, is how do you service the large enterprise? How do you do this at scale? Right. Um, how do you sell this to a major network operator um, in the broad span, broadband or the wireless space? Uh, they, there's always been this kind of gap of they can't leverage a startup's technology because they need it at such a scale at step one. They can't start out with 100 customers. They need to start out with 100,000 customers or 25,000 customers. That's what they want to test at. Right. So everything is about doing it at scale. That's why the process is important because the more... The more that is effective and you've focused on improving it continuously, just like we do continuous integration, continuously improve that process, the better we'll be. Quality goes up, speed goes up, happy customers go up. Absolutely. Well, Mitch, thank you. And I look forward to seeing uh, what's what's next <laughs> in you your horizon, what, well, what you end up building next. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks right. for, uh, for asking me to come meet you at your office here. At my office. <laughs> Starbucks. I'm glad you didn't order some fancy drink, otherwise I'd feel really awkward. But <laughs> No problem. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Thanks for having Mitch. me on.